Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. see leaving neverland that old movie what no oh you don't really watch tv that much do you oh that's finding neverland what's leaving neverland it's a documentary about michael jackson oh yeah i don't watch tv much at all i've watched the reviews Uh uh-huh and it's rough as far as what like i uh one person on facebook talked about like uh this like one of the only times like she cried watching it I looked on YouTube and saw like reactions to Leaving Neverland, and one person was like, "You know, I'm glad I watched it, but I'll never watch it again." It's, it, 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 I, I guess, What's the reasoning? Graphic, how graphic it is, I guess. Um, people, people on uh, people, be sure to reach out to us on um, Facebook at what? What is it? Martini or Martinez and Macabre. Or friends of Martinis and the Macabre. Friends who like Martinis. Friends who like Martinis and the Macabre. Or on Twitter on what? Martini underscore Macabre. Yep. Or um, I th- there might even be a contact us on martinisandthemacabre.com. Um, it is. But it's, I think it's mainly just two men. What they're talking about mainly just two men. You know, one is from Australia. And I don't know if the guy from Australia or the other guy, but one of them won like a dance competition. And then like, I think he was, I don't know if he was in one of his videos. But he, like, invited him to Neverland. And then, like, his parents, like, wanted to go further on their trip. Maybe or maybe I'm getting them all mixed up. But, like, he invited him to Neverland. Showed him a good time and whatever. And then, like, they were like, okay, we're going. I think they were going to, like, the Grand Canyon or something like that. Feel free to correct me, guys. And he somehow convinced them, the parents, to just go on ahead. Leave your kid here. Type of thing. I don't care who the fuck you are and or how much money you make or how famous yeah, you are. Yeah. I'm not leaving my kid with you. Yeah. And like when they talked about like how at one point he had like a special room and you know, like, oh, oh you know, if you hear the door knock, you got to put your clothes on and then answer the door. Shit like that. And it got very graphic, very detailed. And every review I'm seeing, every review I'm reading, they're like, this is the most troubling fucking thing I've ever fucking seen in my life. Even now, there are uh, radio stations that dropped Michael Jackson. Really? They won't even play his fucking music no more. Do you think this is because of the whole R. Kelly thing, though? Uh, I don't know. No, because I I don't think it's connected or anything. I think it's a timing issue because with R. Kelly, that came out on Lifetime, what, like last year? No, I think that just came out a couple months ago. Still, though, that came out on Lifetime. This came out on HBO. And from what I understand, it was like, well done. So this took time. This took time to make and edit and everything. I think it was just a coincidence these happened to come out. Mm-hmm. But I think even like um, some of the brothers or Latoya, she came out about it and talking about it and everything. It's I want to see it. I want to see it, but I kind of don't. But it's like, how do I see it? We canceled our cable, guys. We canceled it like a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And we just do Netflix, Hulu, Pluto, um, Sony, I was a Sony Scramble, Crackle, Crackle, uh, Tubi, 
and Pluto. Well, you know, we have all these other ones, but we don't have HBO. We, there's Hulu and there's HBO on Hulu that you have to pay a little extra for, but it's like HBO Go. Mm-hmm. It's not HBO. And I don't or it's wanna... just like on-demand HBO. Right. I kind of don't want to pay for HBO if it's not fucking on there. Mm-hmm. I want to know if it's on there. I want to know where I can find it because I want to watch it. But it's like this crazy fucking documentary. Is it like a docu-series? No, it's, I mean, it's just, a documentary movie. Just a movie? Yeah, I think. And not like in a series of... I don't know. I have I have no idea. So, hmm. it's one of those... I bet you would probably fucking love it. I guess I've been living under a rock because I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> well, all you do is go to work, come home, and do research and go to bed, you know. But, yeah, it's... um. It's a big thing that hmm. I really want to, I really want to check it out, but I kind of don't because I'm like, ah, I don't like anybody that knows me, especially with listeners and stuff. You know, I, I hate, I loathe, and it's like the understatement of the fucking year, but I loathe when stuff happens to kids, mm-hmm. even in movies. I usually don't, I usually turn it off, which pisses me off. He's never seen Pet Cemetery all the way through. Nope. Nope. <laughs> That poor little boy's shoe just going across the road like that. He's an actor, him. It's I not know, real. I know, but it's just, damn. I, I tried to watch a little bit further till the funeral. When it was a the mom casket. or the dad or somebody flipped out and knocked the casket over. That's when I was like, okay, I can't. I can't do this anymore. And there's some movies where a kid dies at the end. And I'm like, I had to sit through all this shit for that. <laughs> Nur-er. What did you think about my girl? Sad. So fucking sad. <laughs> and I saw that when I was like a teenager. And mm-hmm. I like I like welled up. And I was like, oh, he just went for the ring. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> it's sad. It is. Although it's not the movie My Life. My Life with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman, in my opinion, is bar none the saddest fucking movie You'll ever watch in your life. <laughs> I've still never seen it. Don't. Don't. I thought, seriously, I thought um, Steel Magnolias was probably one of the ones. I could watch Steel Magnolias now. I'm a grown man. I've seen that movie a million fucking times. That scene in the funeral, at the graveyard, in the cemetery, I lose it. Another movie I've never seen. Don't bother. It is so fucking sad. <laughs> but... I'm not into the chick flick tearjerker. You know, a lot more guys are than there are women who are really into like romantic comedies and dramas and stuff like that. You'd be surprised. I saw a poll that was done. Like more men. The saddest movie to me is The Crow, and that's just because Brandon Lee died making it. So, <laughs> so leaving Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was kind of a somber start to Martinis and the Macabre. Sorry it took so long, guys. The podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name is Erica. I'm joined by my husband and party stopper husband, Billy. I kill the mood. Mm. It's usually me. I know. I'm it's getting, a nice change. I'm getting good at it. You are. I've you're been, learning. I've been practicing. Yeah. Whenever I'm like, <laughs> oh, that was a funny thing I watched. Then I watch a baby still get clubbed to death and I'm like, oh, that's how I do it. Wow. Yeah. You're really going for gusto. Baby seals do get clubbed to death. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yep. You've brought it down even farther. I'm like, oh. Way to go, Billy. Yeah. Cute cat videos. Whales get beached. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Martinis in the Macabre. We've got a, a an interesting one for you this week. Aren't they all interesting? True. Really? When you think about it. <laughs> but when I was looking for a topic for this week, I was like, hmm, we need a good poisoning. Because I think the only poisoning we've really covered was Cheryl Dell poisoning her husband with the ecto-cooler. So I thought, maybe it's time for another poisoning. And, uh... You found one. I found one. It's pretty interesting. Before you start, maybe I'm alone in this. And, um, guys, again, Facebook, Twitter, let us know if you agree with me. Maybe not Erica, but me. Whenever I think of poisoning, one thing always comes to mind. This really good documentary called The Emperor's Groove. Emperor's New Groove. Emperor's New Groove. And I always think of the dinner scene when he got turned into a llama. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of. We're about to talk about something that's awful that happened. I'm going to sit here and... And imagine them turning into llamas. Yeah. And I noticed something. Pull the lever, crunk. Yeah. Wrong lever. Wrong lever. I noticed something. Everybody else is going to hear this and be like, oh, you fucking idiot. Of course, Billy. But I didn't notice it until it was pointed out. Okay. Um, you have Kronk, who's pretending to drink it, but he's pouring it past his go, head. Go, 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 go. Yeah. And then you have, what's her name? Elsa? Mm-hmm. And then she took it and like did this and smiled. Uh-huh. She, she put it on a plant. Mm-hmm. She dumped it in a plant. Yeah. That plant turned into a llama. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. It turned into a llama-shaped mm-hmm. plant. I got pointed out to me. I'm a grown ass man now. Oh fuck it! I was a grown ass man when I watched it. Yeah, but I saw that. And it's I was a like, "Great movie." I was like, "Motherfucker, you got me again." God, you're great. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, you have to see it because it's fucking hilarious. There are some movies where it doesn't get old. No. Any time of day, you're like, you want to watch Emperor's New Groove? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We own it. We bought it as adults before we had children because it's that funny. Yep. And like I said earlier about the whole leaving Neverland thing, Erica. Kind of, you know, has her head in the sand when it comes to stuff like this. It's on, like, Hulu or Netflix right now. What, Emperor's New Groove? It's on there, yeah. We could just go watch it. We could watch it anytime because we own it. Yeah, but we don't have to go to the cabinet. We could just sit. We can be more lazy? Yeah, huh? (laughs) Yes! All right. So. Feline A's is the number one killer of domesticated cats. All right, let's go. (laughs) We're back. All right. So for this episode, we are traveling all the way across the globe to a little place we like to call Japan, just a few years after World War II. We like to call it that. I think everybody calls it Japan. But we're going to call it that because we're the ones recording the episode. Um, I don't think Japan's called Japan the Japanese people. What's it called? I think it's called um, Nihon. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the way their language is and everything, it, you have um, Nihon, which is Japan, and you have Nihongo, which is the Japanese language. So, like, it would be with us, it would be like English, but you'd be like English. It was like a, 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 like American, but they would say English go because you speak English. Hmm. It's Nihon, Japan. Nihongo is Japanese language, what they speak. I'm just going to assume you're right, because I have no clue. Okay. So, uh... I'm full of useless fucking trivia. That wasn't useless, that's cool, but still. (laughs) 
Like I said, this is just a few years after World War II. A mass poisoning took place at a bank in the suburbs of Tokyo, leading to an arrest and death sentence for a local painter. He ended up being one of the longest-serving death row inmates in the world, with almost 40 years behind bars waiting for a sentence to be carried out. But did he really do it? Or was he just making happy clouds? Happy little clouds. Like cabinectomies. <laughs> Every tree needs a friend. That's right. Let's give him a friend. Give okay, him a friend. Here's the bravery test. <laughs> I want to get an easel and do Bob Ross. You want to do Bob Ross? May it sound like I wanted to fuck him. No. <laughs> Because it's on Netflix and Hulu now, I can like pause mm-hmm. and rewind, you know, and go back 30 seconds. Like, okay, how do you do that? Because every time I watch it, it is like, I, I'm watching, I'm like, I could do that. I could totally fucking do that. But I think everybody thinks that, which is, that's good. That's good. That, that was the point of his show, is mm-hmm. anybody can do it. But I've done like hyper realistic art. And so I'm looking at it in an artist fashion. And I'm like, okay, cover it in clear. What's it called? Magic clear or whatever the fuck it's called. Where he where, where he makes it wet. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, okay, cover it with that. You could take those and you can mix the colors. They'll blend on the canvas instead of you trying to blend it together because you could do it, but it would take fucking forever. And there's no, nobody has any time for that, especially Bob Ross. He does it in 30 minutes. Fuck. You know? And I, I'm watching. I'm like, I can fucking do this. I have actually gone online numerous times. Like, how much is an easel? <laughs> Turns out, that's the most expensive goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Is the fucking easel? Yeah, yeah. The canvas. I don't worry about it. Bob Ross paints, burnt ember, mm-hmm. and all that shit. Yeah, it's affordable. It's a bit pricey because it's got his name on it. Yeah, but you can get them. Easel, damn. Yeah. Easel. Anybody who wants an easel, I got. There are one. at least a couple hundred bucks. I got one word for you. Pinterest. Go on Pinterest. Go to the grocery store, talk to the manager. Do you have a pallet in the back? A wooden pallet. Take that fucker home, break out some nails and a saw, and just build the goddamn thing. Because holy shit. Or what I'm thinking of doing is just buying a kitchen table, hammering blocks of wood down that's in the the shape of the frame, and just doing that. So instead of having it up, it'll just be down on the table. And I can just be like, okay. And I'll just do it like this, like I'm drawing a picture. Instead of doing vertical. I think I just lost the fucking interest of everybody listening right now. We just go ahead and go about your... <laughs> no, Billy. Let's talk more about paint for gonna, an hour. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Let's... And I, when I do it, it's going to be a beautiful painting. I'm going to post it on our page. It's going to be a happy little painting. And I was going to say, I did it, bitches. <laughs> and you're going to see so many happy clouds and a happy mountain. And trees that have friends. And you're going to put smiley faces on all of them. <laughs> oh my god, I should. <laughs> Go ahead. Let her rip. All right, let's get into this. So after... Oh, I spent too long. This is this is a mass poisoning that happened in Japan after World War II. Yes. Okay. Refresher. There you yeah. go. After the war, Allied forces led by the U.S. were still occupying the country and enacting widespread military, political, economic, and social reforms. So it wasn't really unusual for the people of Japan to be confronted with changes or requests on behalf of the Allied forces. On the afternoon of January 26, 1948, a gray-haired man walked into a branch of the Imperial Bank 
known as Tejin. I wonder. Do you think at that time, maybe I'm just picking on Japan, but I see that word tossed around a lot with Japanese stuff. What? Imperial. Do you think everything was just imperial? Maybe. Come down to the Imperial McDonald's <laughs> to serve your imperial needs. Ba 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 imperial. <laughs> Get in your imperial car, go down the imperial road, do your imperial thing, you imperial motherfucker. Wow. So it could be good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. What if it's like Aloha? It could just be, you know. <laughs> well, this gray-haired man announced that he was an epidemiologist with the Tokyo Metropolitan Government. What is that? An epidemiologist? Yes, ma'am. It's a doctor that studies diseases. Oh, uh, okay. Don't all doctors do that? Isn't that their thing? But that's their specialty is communicable diseases. Their practice? And, yeah. I don't like... More scientific than, you know, just treating a person. It's more I, the microbiology of it. I don't like that doctors refer to what they do as practice. I don't, I don't dig that. <laughs> or lawyers. I practice law. And I'm like, well, when are you going to get good at it? Like, like... I don't, I don't, I don't dig, I don't dig that. I don't think they're going to change just because of you, Billy. You know, I like to practice in vasectomies. Okay, that's a big thing. So, um, <laughs> do you need to take a couple practice rounds before you fucking go? Are you a guitar player? Do you need a hundred goes before you actually land it? My balls, yo. <laughs> it's my imperial balls, Japan. <laughs> hey. Okay. You know, I went, hi, and I bowed in my seat, but it would have been really cool if you looked at me and went, hi. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what we were doing. <laughs> you fucked it up, Erica Go. That didn't happen. None of that happened. Erica Go. <laughs> so, yeah, he said he was from the Tokyo Metropolitan Government and that he had been sent by the occupied forces related to a sudden outbreak of dysentery in the neighborhood. That's not good. Dysentery is basically any type of infection that gives you, like, massive diarrhea and stomach cramps. And diarrhea is actually one of the leading ways that you can dehydrate and die. You just made me think of something. Diarrhea? Cha-cha-cha? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're adorable. <laughs> no. It, Pulp Fiction. The watch that Bruce Willis's dad had up his ass. Uh-huh. Christopher Walken's doing the. You guys know what I'm. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, he died of dysentery. He gave me the watch. I had this uncomfortable hulk, hunk of metal up my ass. And I, this that's like the only time I ever heard dysentery. It used to be a bigger thing. Now you would think you would hear that shit on um, like hauntings and stuff, but it's really tuberculosis. Game Leading on. one cause. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, if you ever die of tuberculosis, rest assured you'll come back. You have no choice to. It's going to happen. Ask that wailing, crying Victorian girl in the corner with no <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Tuberculosis did it. Well, this man claimed he had orders to inoculate everyone to stop the spread of the infection. Given the fact that the man had what appeared to be an official armband, business card, and the quote-unquote medicine with him, and the fact that things were constantly changing during the occupation of the country, they believed him. There were 16 people in the bank consisting of employees, patrons, and one employee's child. Each were given a pill and a few drops of liquid. Within minutes, they all fell violently ill and began to die. I don't even think he had a cure. Probably not. 
I he think, had the opposite. I think this was malarkey the entire time. Imperial malarkey. Bunch of, yeah, bunch yeah. of hogwash, tell you yeah. what. I don't mind telling you. Mm-hmm. They were hoodwinked. I think he had something I like to call ill intent. Am I right? Hi. <laughs> wow. What? I'm not making fun. No, you're channeling your inner Japanese man. I bowed. I know. They call that Ray. R-E-I. Ray. That's the word for bow. Okay. Carry on. All right. So he had a cure, not cure. Okay. Yeah. He said, hey, I'm here to cure you guys. Take this, even though it's not really medicine. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Go ahead and drink it. Here, swallow this. Swallow swallow this. this. Take it down with this liquid. So glad you didn't make a call to follow up on what I'm doing. You won't shit your ass off. Yay. And instead they died. That's just a side effect. (laughs) A bad one. That's a side effect of life. (laughs) Death. Well, as they lay dead or incapacitated, the man took some money and checks that were lying on desks in the amount of 160,000 yen, which was about the equivalent of $2,000 U.S. at the time. Man. So it wasn't a huge amount, but back then $2,000 would have been a significant amount. Still, though, you did all that, you might as well get more. Yeah. I, would, I don't even know if I would consider this a bank heist. Well, he fled the bank, leaving most of the money untouched. So people were kind of confused as to what the motive was for this. Do you think maybe this was just a test of him doing something awful? And he just happened to get some cash out of it? Could be. I'm wondering if the bank was even the target. Well, it clearly was. but <laughs> like, I don't think he would have given up his good shit to I'm these just, people if it was a test. I don't think it was some Ocean's Eleven shit. I don't think this was... I'm going to clean the bank out of this money because he didn't. I bet you like they fell and died and he was like, all right, well, now I know how to do that. Oh, money. <laughs> and, you know, Ooh, piece of candy. Yeah. Ooh, piece of candy. Oh, man. Who's ordering pizza tonight? This guy. When the victims in the bank were discovered, 10 of the 16 were already deceased. The six that were still alive were taken to the hospital where two more of them died, leaving only four survivors. Who had a really bad go at it. They did, but they didn't have diarrhea, so there is that. Oh, so they were fine. Yeah. Oh, good. He kept them from getting dysentery, so... Nice, That's that good stuff. I mean, it only worked in a quarter of the people, but it worked. You know, that is a cure-all for dysentery. Death. Death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Really, when you think about it. Don't question his technique. I found the perfect way for you to not get dysentery. Death. Your eyes are going to cloud up. Your heart's going to stop. And you're going to convulse. But who's pooping? Not you. Tell you what. (laughs) Until your bowels release themselves. Up top. Oh, nope. You fell. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (laughs) Well, investigators at the time believed that the victims had been given potassium cyanide, though it was not definitively identified as the lethal poison. Since this incident took place at the bank called Taegin, it was dubbed the Taegin Incident. In the months just prior to this mass murder, there had been two other instances at banks that were extremely similar. The employees and customers had been given quote-unquote medicine, just as in the Taegin Incident, but no one died in those cases. It was thought that maybe these were dress rehearsals just to see if it could be done. I think he nailed it on the incident. Probably to see, you know, will these people believe me and will they go along with it? To see if it could be done. 
I wonder if he dialed it up too much. Maybe like nobody died on that one, but he wanted them to maybe take him and go home and die. He didn't want them to die there in the lobby. So he did that and he was just like, oh, fuck, that was too many milligrams of what I just fucking did. <laughs> Back up those CCs. Tell you what. Yeah. I don't know about that. I... <laughs> but in all three of these cases, the lone man had left a business card behind. <laughs> Why not? Well, he had to be give the appearance of being someone official. So he probably flipped him a card and said, hey, oh. this is me. I'm here so to he, inoculate you. So, like, he mistakenly left one behind. Not like... Most likely. He dropped one like, hey, Billy was here 2019. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. One of the cards left was marked Jiro Yamaguchi, which turned out to be a fake. But one of the other cards was marked Shiguru Matsui, and it claimed that he was of the Ministry of Health and Welfare Department of Disease Prevention. This was the real business card of a man who really did work for the Ministry of Health. He was tracked down and questioned, but he had an alibi. Now, at the time, it was common for businessmen to exchange their cards and mark them with dates, times, places, etc. And I'm assuming so it would jog their memory as to whose card it was if they pulled it out. So they were all the time exchanging business cards because that was the thing to do. And it makes me think of American Psycho. Look at that one. Nice. It was always weird in that movie. I'm just not of that world where I'm just like, first of all, you have this really nice case and it has one business card in there. What if you meet two people? That doesn't make sense. And you're comparing them. That's yeah. weird. That's weird. Well, I don't know if they officially did that, but they did exchange them quite a bit. And then they would, a lot of guys would like mark stuff on them so that they, if they pulled it out, they're like, oh yeah, that guy, like jog their memory. I saw this cool video on YouTube where they re- they they um, had that scene in mm-hmm. the boardroom, you know, but they use CGI and everything, replace it with Pokemon cards, and it was oh, I've seen fucking that. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I remember you showing me that. Hey, Paul, <laughs> I love that movie. It's so good. Okay, so the real Shiguru Matsui was somehow able to figure out that he had traded cards with five hundred and ninety three people. That's a fucking lot. Yes, that's rain. Yeah. Uh, it's downpouring. You might hear some rain on this. <laughs> We're wow. not even through winter yet, and it's downpouring here. It's coming down. Indiana, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 593 people. And I'm guessing that he figured that out just by counting the number of other men's cards he'd received in exchange of his own to kind of get that number. So that means, I don't know where he was keeping these cards, but that's a lot of fucking business cards. Yeah. That would take up like a box. That's too many business cards. Yeah. Too many. Too many, Shiguru Matsui. You're really taking a stance on that. Too many. Whoa. Too many. Whoa. Okay. Okay. All right. Of the 593 that he had given out, only 100 were the actual type of card that was left at one of the banks. So he had obviously changed some shit up, made it look a little different. Crazy, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He was like, no, look at this one. Out of those 100 that were different, he only had eight of them still in his possession, which meant that he had given out 92 cards that were unaccounted for. So police began doing actual detective hitting-the-streets work 
and started tracking these 92 cards down. Is that NYPD blue shit right there, man? Sure. In Japan. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Wow, wow. I don't know what that was. It was like Hill Street Blues or some shit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, 84 people were cleared or found to have no relevance to the case, which only left eight cards. One of those eight cards had been given to the central figure in this case, a man named Sadamachi Hirasawa. Oh, I know him. What? Will you call him Sad for short? No. Sadamachi Hirasawa. Everyone to... else that you know, you shorten their name and act like you're bros. No, I'm sorry. Sadamichi Hirasawa Sha. Or, no, wait. No, fuck. Ah! How do you know him then? Sadamichi Hirasawa-san. Sadamichi. San. Hirasawa-san. We went to high school together. He was a cool guy. Oh. He was born in the 1800s. Yeah, I know. Don't know if you got the memo. Oh, no, well, it's not that. We, um... He was held back a lot. He was slow. Can you deny the fact that we played Pogs? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you played Pogs? No. Never really got on that train. Okay. So then it was twice as bad of a lie. Yeah, it was a total fabrication of everything that you just heard. <laughs> I lied about all of it. No, I wasn't a Pog guy. I never really got into that. Thank you. Thank you. Or Pokemon. Thank you. I wasn't a Zelda kid. For shame. I I played Zelda. Oh, okay. For about five minutes. Oh. And then I just turned it off. And Zelda rocked. Well, I mean... It, I never owned it because, you know, like, we were poor. But I see, my cousin had it and I played it at his house. Sure, so. sure. I see what you're saying. It's just, you know, it was bad. It was good. No, but... It was good. I know, but it wasn't. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can flip me off all you want. Yep. Um, I'm sorry. I like to think I'm a little more sophisticated. And um, I come from the school of Castlevania. Okay? Ew. <gasps> Thank you for listening to Martinis and Macabre. This is our last podcast. We're getting a fucking divorce tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you lost your goddamn mind. Ew. Ew. The fuck is wrong with you? Don't they have like 20 of those now? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know why there's not that many Zellas anymore? It's a fucking sucked ass. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Martinis of the Cobb. This is the last episode. <laughs> We're getting divorced tomorrow. <laughs> All I'm saying is how many people play more how many people play Mortal Kombat and how many people play Street Fighter? There's your answer. One's better than the other. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Duh. It's better. Mortal Kombat is the Castlevania of not what you're playing. The computer shut down on you. It doesn't like you. I don't like the computer. It probably has Zelda on there. No, it doesn't. Stupid ass Zelda. They didn't even try to goose it up with a fucking gold cartridge to make it look more pretty because they knew it sucked ass. Because it was that good, it needed a gold cartridge. No, they needed a push, is what they fucking needed. They were like, oh, our sales ain't that good because our shit's horrible. What can we do to fix it? And some guy named Craig was like, hey, make it gold. And then the boss was like, there it is. And then they did it. I just want to knock over the mic right now on you. <laughs> But it'd probably knock over your beer and everything else. So I won't. <laughs> Moving on. Not that it would upset me. No. 
Moving on. Okay. Okay. If you like Zelda, that's fine. I just don't, you know, I don't. That's because you're stupid. Never will. You know, you're a real piece of shit right now. Yeah. You're an idiot. You got a lot of goddamn nerve. Yeah, you're stupid. <gasps> Big stupid, stupid. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This is the last like fucking stupid. episode. Because I'm going to burn this motherfucking house down. Fucking piece of duty. You, 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 hey. Duty hole. Do you hit your mother with that mouth? Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's been Zelda talk this week. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for tuning in the 10 vi- minutes later thanks for tuning in for the video game vlog I don't even know what the vlog is but you're in it this isn't a visual medium this is not a vlog thanks for tuning in for some shit we're saying <laughs> I don't know alright so let's talk about Sadamichi Hirasawa your bro from school son son sorry it's he- son son if it's a girl, son. If it's a guy, Hirasawa son. Yeah, whatever. There, you happy? I haven't been happy since I was like fourteen. Oh, that's when you met me. Hmm. Yeah, I like Zelda. Okay, no, you were thirteen, so we had a year of happiness before you got sad. <laughs> I probably did it to you, didn't I? Fuck, I've known you so long. Yeah. Okay. So, Sadamichi Hirasawa was born in Tokyo on February 18th, 1892, long before Billy was even a glimmer in his great-grandparents' eyes. He signed my yearbook! Did not. I don't own a yearbook! And moved with his family to Hokkaido at the age of five. He was a very gifted painter, even from a young age, and won many awards, eventually becoming a professional tempura painter, preferring to paint landscapes. And I actually saw there, you can find a documentary on YouTube, and I can't remember the name of it right now, um, but they actually show a lot of his older works that he won awards for. And there's one in there that's believed to be the oldest surviving painting that he did in like third grade or something. And it's actually pretty detailed. It's like a landscape of a deer next to a river. And it looks pretty good for third grade. I have a question. Are his paintings like... This is going to sound like I'm being very stereotypical or, you know, but I'm not trying to be. Are they like Japanese style paintings? Those are a lot different than like realistic... I would you say... Know, you see what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of blacks and grays and lots of it's brush not, strokes. I wouldn't of, say it's hyper-realistic. You can definitely sure. tell, you know, it's a painting, but it is fairly detailed and he has the typical kanji written kind of along the sides That's of the story okay. telling what's in the picture. Because I see like Japanese paintings, Japanese prints that are made of where like a guy has a sword, but the sword is over his head and his elbow is moving in a way that it shouldn't. And his, and his other arm is no, like up and it's this like pointing. No, this is like, he did typically you know landscapes. About? He very rarely did people. Um, and the few that he did, most of those were when he was in prison. Um Spoiler alert, he goes to prison. Um, but yeah, it was typically landscapes, floral pictures, um, things along that matter. Oh, okay. He was married with five children at the time of the bank incidents. He seemed to have no knowledge of poisons or access to poisonous substances. Just a well-known painter with a happy family. 
Police became suspicious of Hirasawa from the very beginning for many reasons. First, he didn't have the business card that he was believed to have been given by Shigeru Matsui. He told police that he had been the victim of pickpocketing and had had the business card stolen as it was in his wallet that had been taken. Second, Hirasawa had a good chunk of money in his possession, around the same amount that had been taken at Teigin the day of the poisoning. In post-war Japan, with poor economy, Hirasawa's paintings weren't selling well, so they found it odd that he would have this much cash. Hirasawa's alibi was that he was taking a walk at the time of the incident, and he happened to be in the vicinity of the bank. Police were unable to substantiate his alibi. What's that mean? They couldn't prove that that's what he was actually doing, that he was just out taking a walk. They didn't have any... You know, eyewitnesses saying, yeah, I saw him walking up right. okay. whatever street. I was just realizing. I'm glad I know that now. But I just relayed to my audience. I don't know what unsubstantiate means. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yep. I literally just put that out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the police were able to unsubstantiate. Back up. What's that word? <laughs> What's all that to do? Mm-hmm. It's a big one. Uh, un- unsubstantiate, Erica? Sorry. I don't speak pig Latin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> <laughs> well, when shown pictures of Hirasawa, two of the four survivors ID'd him as the poisoner as well. I guarantee on Facebook they're going to say something about unsubstantiate. I'm just going to feel dumb as shit. I'm going to laugh. I bet you will. God damn it. <laughs> I really let a big-ass cat out of the bag. Yep. A guy that co-hosts a true crime podcast does not know what unsubstantiate means. Not unsubstantiate, just substantiate. Wait, what's that mean? What's that mean, Erica? (laughs) What's that mean? Does that mean prove it? They could back it up? They were not able to substantiate. No, I'm asking you words. Which means it was unsubstantiated. I'm asking you the other one without the un. The other one. Substantiate means you can find proof. Okay. (laughs) oh god (laughs) unsubstantiated means that there wasn't proof I need to get a word day calendar oh god you need something fuck okay just go alright moving on oh my god (laughs) although there was no direct evidence tying him to the crime and the surviving victims were split on whether he was the actual criminal Hirasawa was arrested on August 21st, 1948, seven months after the incident occurred. He was placed in the Sendai jail. A month later, after over 30 interviews by police, Hirasawa allegedly confessed to the Tegin incident as well as four previous cases of bank fraud. The problem with this so-called confession was that Hirasawa claimed he was beaten and tortured to extract it. Could have happened. And the law in Japan at that time didn't care how confessions were obtained. As long as you got one, I guess. Up until 1949, the year after this incident, if you confessed, that was more than enough solid evidence against you, regardless of how they got that confession. I get it. That's good. Like, hey, um, if you think he did it, try to get him to confess, but don't pull out his fingernails. Yeah. If you could avoid that. If you could avoid it, that'd be cool. Yeah, that put a big change on things. You couldn't just beat them into submission and go, say it! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bricks are for buildings, not for people's chins. Yeah. Leave them outside. (laughs) 
His confession even began with Hirasawa pointing out the absurdity of the charges. With the one finger that wasn't broken. One problem was that I had no access to the armband and poison used by the robber. How could I kill people without them? It doesn't make sense. End quote. So basically he said, this is stupid, but fuck it. Sure, I did it all. Yeah. Oh, I can add to that quote. This is stupid, but fuck it. Sure, I did it all. Please stop hitting me. (laughs) Exactly. See, the key is, is you use phone books. Doesn't leave a mark. You put the phone book next to the person's cheek, punch the phone book. Does not leave a mark, but it'll ring his bells. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Informational. Don't use this for personal use unless you have a phone book and a guy you don't like. But even still, don't. But if you want to, (laughs) go ahead, but don't. I never told you to do this. (laughs) Never once said, hey, you guys should go do this. What I would do is take a phone book and I would strap it to a doorknob and then put him on his knees and then shut the door on his face. Huh. Yeah. You've thought about this. You, you Do you have experience with this? No, no. Usually in the... Is that how you got the heart? Usually in the... No, 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 no. The heart was just from a Taiwanese hooker. We keep it under the bed. Ah. But I love Taiwan. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know what's crazy is I have talked I have talked to people who like really know how to do it. I know I don't think they ever did it, but they could be like, "Oh, you want to know how to fucking like?" For instance, like how to get rid of a body. I'll tell you, and they will go into explicit detail where I'm like, "What you- from your work?" Yeah, makes sense. Do you know who does it? Not gets rid of bodies, but do you know who tells me these things? I don't Shit know. Can I be held accountable in a court of law? Shit you not. Construction workers. <laughs> They're sense. the ones that can tell you if you were to put a body away, this is where you would do it. Not like... In the concrete? Not like, oh, um, this 12-pack, is this all for you? Yeah, and let me tell you how to get rid of a body. Not like that. <laughs> no, like, these are customers I know that I'm friendly with that are friends of mine and everything like that. And, and they know I co-host a podcast and everything. And we'll just get the... Joking and joshing and stuff. And they're like, well, you know what I mean? If you really want to know how to do it, that type of shit. I... How many serial killers do we have around here based on those conversations? All I know is that if you live somewhere where there is a new neighborhood addition being built... Uh-huh. There's get, some dead bodies there. Get the fucking x-rays. Check the foundations. That's where you might find some shit. That would make sense. Yeah. They're the ones in charge of it. They're contracted well, to do it. I don't know if you've heard of like the West Mesa serial killings where they found all these bodies and they're like in construction areas. Are you talking about the movie Sicario? No. Oh. Okay. I'm talking about real life. Oh. Sicario's a documentary. I heard one. I read one online that was actually pretty good. Bury a body 12 feet down. Put a dog on top of and it. And put a dog on top of it. Throws off the... It'll throw it off. It'll be a false read. Because they'll dig and find dog bones, and they're like, oh, that's what the dog was smelling. But I don't know if that's true, because I think dogs that are trained to sniff out bodies are trained specifically to sniff out dead human bodies. Uh, how do you do that? Or, I uh, don't know. No, I'm. I, in all honesty, like, the serious conversation here, like, wouldn't they just be trained? Like, a dog 
decompose is the same as a man. That it's it's meat and it's rotting. But we have especially exposed to the elements. We have different hormones and chemicals in our bodies, though. I I, I think that canine dogs or whatever dog that I don't even know if they're canines. They're like there's a name for them. There but, are canines. Canines is sure, sure, sure. But the like genus of dogs. Yeah. Or but something like that. They're like that. body retrieval. <laughs> what you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. or cadaver. Cadaver dogs. Yeah. They're trained to smell decomposition. I think there's a lot of false reads. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's got a scent. Squirrel. That type of thing. Like, oh, he's got a scent. Oh, he's really digging. Let's dig here. That's because they brought the retarded dog. <laughs> what? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Squirrel. Why the police force would hire a retarded dog is beyond me, but Sure. <laughs> I can just picture it. <laughs> just sit there with the big goofy smile on his face as he's panting. Go get him. He's Go get him, Gus. He's really excited. No, no. He's, he's peeing on the body. He's, Great. Um, I can tell by looking at him, he's in pain. He's been doing this for like three hours. <laughs> right there, too. Right in the same spot. We haven't moved. He indicates he has a scent. Then he shits. Standing up. I thought they squat, but uh, no, he's just standing there like a horse mm-hmm. and just lets it go. Yep. Yep. Call this little guy Urkel. <laughs> You're a good girl. <laughs> yeah. So basically you said this is stupid, but fuck it. Sure. I did it all. I mean, over 30 days of nonstop interrogations and alleged beatings, might just wear a man down enough to confess. I think if you beat the brakes off me for 30 days, I'll tell you I killed my own mother. And she's still alive. <laughs> yeah. By the time of his trial, Hirasawa had recanted everything he confessed to. Yeah, because the black eyes went away. <laughs> and the concussion kind of eased off a bit. And he was like, wait, no. No. I no. did not. I am in a courtroom right now, and they cannot hit me. I see you looking. I see you looking at me. But you will we'll have I to... have never. Never. <laughs> never, never. I see you eyeballing me. I know when we get in the van to take me back to the prison, you're going to fuck my shit up. But right now, no. <laughs> D- do it. Kiss my ass. I'm waiting for that fucking wrench you're going to hit me in the face with later. <laughs> I know it's coming. You showed it to me before we got out of the van. <laughs> He claimed that not only had he been tortured to extract his confession, but he also claimed partial insanity. He said he had been suffering from a condition called Korsakoff's syndrome. What's that? I had to look it up. Okay. It is a memory disorder caused by a deficiency of thymine, which is vitamin B1. Okay. (laughs) It can be caused by many things, but most commonly alcohol abuse. But he claimed it was a result of a rabies inoculation he had received. So he said that his confession wasn't reliable regardless of the beatings because of his memory issues. So, also, at the end of the day, it was just they beat the fuck out of him for nothing. <laughs> I don't Damn. know. Damn. <laughs> that was a good practice round for the cops for whenever you want to beat the brakes off of somebody's ass. Well, also entered into evidence was prosecutor's report that described the crime in detail. The prosecutor claimed that he had questioned Hirasawa at the jail over a two-day period on October 8th and 9th, 1948. And these interviews would have made over 60 interviews with Hirasawa in a six- to seven-week period. 
At that, so they were literally questioning him like every single day. That's what I hate. They do it in movies and TV shows a lot. They even do it actually like in the first 48 and everything. Like the guy already spoke and it was like, okay, okay, let's just say I don't know what happened. Okay, let's do it again. Walk me through that type of thing. And it's mm-hmm. like, really? Again? Yeah. I mean, we're only going on 14 hours. but Yeah, day after day after day. So I imagine he'd probably be about sick of the shit by now. Although this report was submitted as proof of his guilt, Hirasawa claimed that he was never even questioned by the prosecutor and the entire report was fabricated. A jail guard would later say that Hirasawa didn't act like the other inmates and wasn't convinced of his guilt. He said the guards kept cell journals where they would have had to make note of what the inmates were doing, who came to visit, etc., like doing rounds and marking what was going on. He looked in the cell journal for so the like, days... So like daily logs. Pretty much. Okay. He looked in the cell journal for the days that the prosecution claimed to have been questioning Hirasawa at the jail. He claimed that the pages for the 8th and the 9th of October were completely gone from the journal. Not just ripped out, but carefully removed. Like to not draw attention. Exacto knife. Now, that's not proof that the prosecutor wasn't there, but it is awfully suspicious that those exact two days of notes were removed. Yeah. Despite only having a questionable confession and some circumstantial evidence, Hirasawa was convicted and sentenced to death in 1950. He would later say, quote, They fabricated the Taijin incident by recording and writing whatever they wanted. Anyone can be put to death if the death penalty is used that way, end quote. On his copy of the death sentence decision, he scrawled notes contesting each piece of evidence that the court's claim pointed to him until the papers were in tatters. His sentence was appealed and went before the Supreme Court of Japan in 1955. The Supreme Imperial <laughs> Court of Japan. <laughs> yeah, we need to put Imperial in there. I drink Imperial Pale Ale. You do. All right. And I also like macaroni. Let's go. (laughs) They upheld the conviction and death sentence, and Hirasawa was left in a solitary cell on death row for the next 39 years. He submitted multiple pleas for retrial throughout the years, but he never got one. He continued painting, but had to do so from memory. He often painted flowers because the condemned weren't allowed to even have flowers in their cells. And he continued to deny his involvement for the rest of his life. Now, you may be wondering, how had he been sentenced to death but was kept in a cell for almost 40 years? The reason for that is that none of the ministers of justice in Japan during those 39 years would sign his death warrant, and he couldn't have a sentence carried out without the signed warrant. None of them were convinced enough of his guilt to sign away his life, but none of them would release him either. And there are several reasons to doubt Hirasawa's guilt, so let's go through those. First, the chunk of money that Hirasawa had. Decades after Hirasawa was convicted, a picture scroll was found that contained 12 erotic scenes painted on it. It was customary for businessmen at the time to keep some type of erotic art scrolled away as it was thought to bring good luck. Porn brings good luck? Evidently back then in Japan it did. Does it though? Because if so, I will buy a subscription to Pornhub. (laughs) 
Well, the erotic scroll was studied by art critics and believed to have been painted by Hirasawa. So how does this tie in? While painting erotic art was considered a lowly endeavor in the art world, it made money, but many artists wouldn't dare dream of becoming an erotic artist, or if they did, they wouldn't admit it. What's wrong with that? Honestly, I'm not even trying to sound like a perv, but what's wrong with yeah, that? Yeah, in this day and age, we wouldn't consider that to be anything. Yeah, it's, it's... Back then, it was considered a, considered a very bad faux pas in the art world. It was professional suicide. That's, see, and maybe it's because I'm thinking with a modern head, but, I mean, I don't draw, I don't draw erotica or nothing like that, mm-hmm. but, like, you're not drawing something that doesn't happen every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the human body. This is what the human, this is one of the things the human body does, is have sex. Yeah. It does. In one form or another, even if you're, you know. And that's kind of the catch-22 is, how dare you draw this, but I'm going to pay you to draw it for me so I can keep it in my safe and have good luck. But yeah. you're a shitty artist because you do this for me. And then every once in a while, I'll take the painting to the bathroom. Let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, why'd you paint a picture of the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus? That's a, that's obscene. Really? Uh, it's a woman giving birth to a child that happens literally every day. Even as I'm speaking right now, it's happening. Even as I'm speaking right now, somebody's fucking... And, as I'm speaking right now, somebody's probably got binoculars drawing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know that Hirasawa's landscape paintings weren't selling well at the time. And successful businessmen would often commission artists to paint them a piece of erotica and would pay very well for the chance to have good luck. So Hirasawa may have been making bank by painting erotic pictures during this time to make up for his lost sales in landscape art. Mm but he never would have admitted this because of the stigma attached to it. I would have. Fuck, that made me money. <laughs> well, next is the poison. When police first began their investigation, they went on the assumption that the man responsible was associated with the army because chemical warfare was a big thing back then. It's a big thing now. But that was kind of when it was coming into, you know, the growth of chemical warfare. They were really starting to study it and hone it. They also believed that the person would have been knowledgeable about poisons and would have had easy access to them. Although cyanide was much more accessible back then than it is now. I don't even know how to get it. I'm sure there are ways, and I'm not going to mention them here. I don't want (laughs) to. But uh, yeah, it was more accessible back then. But even then, a civilian was much less likely to be able to obtain it. And Hirasawa didn't. Tick off any of these boxes. He wasn't in any way associated with the military. He didn't know about any poisons and he didn't have access to any poisons. The actual poison that was used has been called into question as well. Scientists state that it couldn't have been potassium cyanide as cyanide causes very sudden death. It prevents the cells in the body from using oxygen. So basically it like suffocates you internally. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's glorified a lot in movies. The cyanide pill that mm-hmm. you take, the suicide you pill. basically suffocate. And like, you know, um, I remember the movie Contact. They they talked about that. I don't know if you know Contact with Jodie Foster. I saw it years and years ago. Like she was about to go on that thing and, and on that capsule or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they gave her a cyanide pill. And like worst case scenario, if, you're, if you know you're going to die, mm-hmm. take this and it'll be over. But 
Cyanide's a bitch. Uh, when you, when you, if you take cyanide, you're. If you've ever seen that guy in court, yeah, pop the cyanide pill in his mouth and then like collapse. That's what cyanide does. Or the oh, what was it Polish? Was he Polish? No, there's another guy that was like Russian or Polish or Yugoslavian. I can't remember, but he was like, or I can't remember his nationality, but he was accused of war crimes when he was a general. And he, he like when he was being sentenced, he was like, you know, I'm. I did my job. I, you know, all this shit, you know, pulled out a bottle and drank it. Mm-hmm. And then it was like. It comes in gas form, as in liquid li- form, yeah. as in tablet form. Yeah. And so they assumed because he gave these people a tablet and then a liquid to wash it down with that it had all been cyanide. I'm not giving advice, <laughs> but I really, really think. Education purposes only. Um, blow your fucking head off. Because cyanide, that's a hard go. Yeah. You're, you're going out hard. It's not one, It's not glorified. It's not romanticized in movies and shit. Like, it may it's be like, a sneaky way to pull it off in public, but... Sure. But it's like when you take it, it's not like you're going to go to sleep and not wake up. No. You're going to go out hard. Yeah. You're going to have lack of oxygen and your body is going to shut down on you while you're still awake to feel it. Yeah. Or just... Oh, we're talking about Japan, right? Seppuku. Seppuku. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's about the same. So, scientists, you know, didn't think it was cyanide because cyanide causes a very sudden death. Scientists claim that since there were four people still alive when help arrived, and that two of those four survived, it couldn't have been cyanide. Hiroyoshi Endo, a former dean of the pharmacology department at Tokyo University, said, quote, I can't specify what the poison was. But as a scientist, I can say it was not potassium cyanide, end quote. He said the chemical, quote, could not have been used by a painter who had little chemical knowledge. Thus, I strongly believe that it was impossible that Mr. Hirasawa was involved in the Tajin incident. One university investigation... Wait, is this your stance? No, that's what he said. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what the dean of pharmacology said. He believed that... It was not cyanide, and he was not involved because he wouldn't have had access to whatever it was that these people were given. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think cyanide is a lot harder to get than people... Well, I mean, back in 1948, it probably wasn't as hard. Maybe. One university investigation claimed that the poison may have been acetone cyanohydrin, which is a poison designed by the military to be slow-acting. It wasn't something that Hirasawa would have had access to. But who would? The military. One investigator's journals from the investigation were later found. There were 12 journals in total covering the entire investigation from the day of the incident until the trial. And this is something that I came across kind of late into my research and I was like, wow. I have a question before you get into that. Okay. That chemical Mm -hmm. is slow acting. Mm -hmm. Yet they died in the bank. That's fast. But we don't know exactly how long they were in the bank dead before help arrived. Which is... I'm. They were incapacitated for a time. They just happened to be dead by the time people came in. I think think it goes back to what I said before. Where it's like... Somebody dialed up the milligrams or however the the, the measurement of whatever form it took. You know... um, Whatever vehicle you used to make it happen was But if that's the case, why up. were there people still alive? I don't know. Uh, it's That could just be body chemistry. You know, like, it'd be like, okay, Cujo, for instance. This is a, this is a horrible analogy. I could probably come up with a better one if I had time. But Cujo mm-hmm. had rabies. 
if he snapped at you and bit you, you could probably have rabies, and you would get rabies, and you would die. Rabies is fatal in humans. But there is treatment. Yeah. But like if you don't get treated for rabies, yeah. you'll die. But um horrible way to go. Yeah, it's not good. You I get think hydrophobia, you get afraid to drink anything. I I, I personally think tetanus. That would be awful. That's a I, that's what I don't want to die. I don't want to die. It's one thing I loved about microbiology class is learning is, about all this shit. Tetanus is fucking rough. That is rough. But um what I'm saying is there's slow acting and there's fast acting. Uh, Cujo could bite you. You get rabies. You don't get treated. You will eventually die and it will be a horrible fucking death. Or Cujo has rabies and bites your throat and you die. So what I'm saying is I think at the bank it was one of those things where it's like they did what they did. Whoever did it. You know, I'm not saying anybody did it. But like, um, oh, no, somebody did. No. But it was one of those things where it's like they got it and, and, and everything started happening. They were like, oh, fuck. That was – the pill was a bit too big. The, maybe instead of three drops, should have done two. This is happening pretty quick. Last I checked, this was supposed to be slow. Mm-hmm. This isn't slow. They are laying down and convulsing, and this looks pretty fucking horrifying. Could be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So – Fuck tetanus. <laughs> so these – Journals from this investigator that were uncovered. In it are the numbers 731, which, uh, if you have listened to our entire catalog of episodes, motherfucker, it should be a familiar number. We covered Unit 731 in episode 16 called Timber. Horrible number, to be honest with you. And I'll do a quick refresher for those of you familiar with Unit 731 or. If you don't know, it's just kind of a general overview. Go back and listen to that episode. Sorry about the sound. We've improved since then, but still a horrific topic. Unit 731 was a covert biological and chemical warfare research and development unit of the Imperial Japanese Army. You got it. (laughs) Operating under the guise of the quote-unquote Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department. Yeah. There was my wiggle for you with my air quotes. You wiggled with your air quotes. Yep. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to just pause here for a second. Erica, come here. I'm going to oh. boop your nose. Boop. You Patreon listeners get it. Boop. Boop. You're adorable. <laughs> Every time she air quotes, she wiggles her butt. It's adorable. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's like they, 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 they like said they're doing good things they're doing yeah, research they're, they're doing we... research and nope. they're trying to make things better it was bad in reality they conducted horrific tests and surgeries on living people including vivisections amputations and numerous chemical biological and bombing tests hundreds of thousands are believed to have died at their hands the unit was led by surgeon general shiro ishii he was to the Japanese army what Joseph Mengele was to the Nazi party. Just a really fucked up guy. Anyway. You know what's sad? I think I mentioned this on that episode is if you mention this to a person from Japan. They have no clue. They don't know what you're talking about. Nope. They cover that shit up. Yep. And they should. Not that they should cover it up, but it's covered like in shame. Like that. this is a mm-hmm. horrible thing that happened. Just like how we cover up the fact that we... Gave smallpox to the Indians. Yeah. I mean, or yeah. Native Americans, if that offended anyone, but. You know you know what I respect? Germany. Germany shuts shit down that has to do with Nazis. Mm-hmm. I remember 
reading about um, this guy who threw up a Hitler salute, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fucker's doing 20 years now. Good. Like, like, and he did it in front of a cop who was, like, he didn't know the cop was there. Mm-hmm. But there was, like, some parade or something like that. And he, like, did the Nazi salute and everything. And they said, you know, the cop saw that. He was like, no, no, no. And then took his ass away. Good. I kind sure. of, re- I respect that with Germany. Germany, they, they don't forget what happened and that's cool. They recognize it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's shitty for Japan, but I get it. I get it. Why Japan's like, ah, no, nah, don't worry. Look over here. Yeah, but don't, they don't look completely, look over they there. disregard it as it didn't happen. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. But anyway, three months into the investigation of the Tejin incident in the investigator's journal, Shiro Ishii is mentioned. He told an investigator on April 27th, quote, it may be one of my men, end quote. According to the journal, by late June, the investigators strongly believed that the culprit was someone in the secret unit. And on July 20th, Ishii is again quoted as saying, quote, it's definitely related to the army. I think so myself, end quote. Now, a couple of years before the Tejin incident, Unit 731 had to disband quickly and tried to destroy all evidence of their war crimes. But it didn't matter because our fucked up government here in the U.S. gave them immunity to be charged with war crimes as long as they gave us the data they had collected during their ghastly experiments. It's basically blackmail. We know you did something really bad, but if you give us what you've got, we won't ruin you. To this day, Japan is tight-lipped about the unit's existence and don't even teach it in schools. Just as you mentioned. Yeah. So Henry Zabrowski talked about that. Mm-hmm. On um last podcast on the left. Mm-hmm. He talked about he he was on that show Heroes Reborn. Uh-huh. You know, and um there was an Asian guy on there, I believe he was Japanese descent, and he would talk to him about Union 731. And the actor looked at him, he was like, What are you even Yeah. And he wasn't being like snide about it like he was being sincere he's like i have no idea what you're talking about right yeah now. and then it got to where like henry zabrassi is like yelling he's like it is not i'm telling you over there this happened i could pull up photos i could pull up newspaper you know and everybody thought like they, and it was mostly against chinese like, people so yeah. i bet they cheat i bet they teach it in china but not japan well, i bet china knows about it mm-hmm. but like it got to where henry zabrassi is like yelling at him not forcefully but he's trying to convince him like hey this fucking happened. Yeah. You know, and it, it was left to where, like, Henry Zabrowski on the says, like, this guy that just yells at people. He's like, no. Well, the Soviets fucking, didn't care. They were thing. like, fuck you. We're going to try you. But the U.S. was like, give us some data. We'll let you go. Slap on the hand. Yeah. That's pretty fucked up. It is. So when the Tejin incident happened, Unit 731 had officially disbanded, but there were thousands of military men who had participated in these experiments and had knowledge and access to deadly chemicals still around. And it's believed that some of them continued to carry out experiments even after the end of the unit and other quote-unquote research jobs. It's very possible that the incidents at the banks were experiments in a public setting, with the initial ones just being dry runs and the Tejin incident being the actual test. Maybe the money taken was just an afterthought, because the majority of the money wasn't taken from the bank. Or maybe one of Unit 731 scientists was out of a job when the unit shut down and needed cash and happened to still have some poisonous chemicals laying around somewhere. Yeah. And he was like, hmm, let's try this out. Gotta pay rent. 
Now, the police had thought for months, according to the investigators' journals, that someone from the unit was involved. But considering they had been given immunity to keep quiet and fork over their data, they couldn't exactly be publicly exposed without repercussions for Japan. But the mass murder was high profile, and the citizens were adamant about bringing the poisoner to justice. So they come across a man who happened to have once had a random business card and happened to have some money on him, and they had their man. After Hirasawa's arrest, there was no further mention of the Army or Unit 731 in the journal, despite the investigator's strong belief for the four months prior that it was someone connected to the unit. It's like they just gave up on that lead. Yeah. As I said before... Hirasawa was one of the longest-serving death row inmates in the world with just under 40 years in jail or prison, whichever you'd like to call it. I believe in Japan they refer to it as a jail. I refer to it as death row. (laughs) He had a heart attack in 1974 at the age of 82 and was taken to a Sendai hospital. He spent six weeks recovering there but was anxious to get back to his cell where he could once again paint because he wasn't allowed to paint in the hospital. Aww. He lived to an astonishing 95 years old. Damn. Dying on May 10th, 1987, proclaiming his innocence and painting until his dying day. Many groups and lawyers have petitioned for his release or investigated the case, trying to prove his innocence even posthumously. A man named Takahiko Hirasawa took on Sadamichi Hirasawa's name and became his adopted son. He petitioned for retrials and worked to recover lost paintings of Hirasawa's, holding exhibitions of the works of art. He passed away in 2013, and the Tokyo High Court announced that with his death, the plea for a posthumous retrial of Hirasawa would be dropped, effectively closing the case unless someone else in Hirasawa's family chooses to pursue a retrial. Last year, for the 70th anniversary of the Teijin Incident, A Tokyo gallery showcased 21 paintings done by Hirasawa that was open to the public, finally giving some exposure to the works of the stigmatized artist. But sadly, chances are that his name will never be cleared. Ah, that's a fucking bummer. Yeah. And that's the Teijin incident. Did you guys like it? I hope you did. If you did, please get on iTunes, wherever you can rate and review the show. It's one of the easiest ways you can help us out. Helps us grow organically. Gives us some exposure. If you can do that, we'd love you forever. And it gives me a warm feeling in my tummy. And please check out the other great podcasts on the Murderly Network while you're on the interwebs. Show them some love. You can find all of us at murder.ly. That's our homies. Yay! And if you would like to be a real baller and financially support the show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month, like we just recorded before this. And it gives you a shout-out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Amy and Kirsten. We have two ballers, yo. Thank you guys so much. Love you. Bonnie, Bridget, new supporter Chelsea, Cooper, Corina, Corey, Donald, Dylan, Belfast Grace... Hunter, Jennifer, Kate, Christy, another new supporter, Kristen, thank you. Lady Danger, Marie Maxime, Molly W., Stephen, and Sue, you awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. And you guys that 
aren't supporting yet can make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link on our website, martinisandthemacabre.com. It's near the bottom of the homepage. Put in whatever amount you like. You can send it directly to us. Even if you are a patron, you can donate via our PayPal. We already went over Facebook and Instagram and all that. Martinis and the Macabre and Twitter at martini underscore macabre. Visit our website, martinisandthemacabre.com to learn a little about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. And keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. And be sure to find his first official album release called Views, that's V-I-E-W-S, on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisandthemacabre at gmail.com. You can also send Billy those drink recipes for his boozy corner, if you'd like. Billy's boozy corner. You can send that to martinisandthemacabre at gmail.com as well. Or you can go on the website and use the contact page. So I think that about wraps it up, guys. Once again, thank you so much for listening and being with us for this exciting adventure that we call Martinis and the Cobb. So at this time, we have a, a great friend of the show, Holly. And um, I'm not going to get into what's going on, but just uh, Holly, if you're listening, we Our, love you. We love you. We have your back. Always. And if Thinking you, of you. If you need anything, you let us know. And if you need anything else, let everybody else know on Facebook and everything. Somebody will come. And we'll we have a good family here. Yeah, yeah, we have we have a great family. <laughs> this was this was cool. It's like with our I see other podcasts. They have like so many followers, so many listeners, so many people that like the page. The ones that we have, we earned. Mm-hmm. I think we're really tight knit. We're a tight knit family. Yeah. So we're with you, Holly. We are. We love you. Wishing you the best. Hopefully everything works out for you. You have our undying love. You do. Forever and always have our undying love. All right, Snuggle Bunnies, I think that's it. Stay safe, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.
Erica. Yes. What is Forrest Gump's password on Google? Jenny. One, Forrest. One. I hate you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To this is the last episode of Martinis and Macabre. We are getting a divorce tomorrow. I'll sign the papers. That was a good joke. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 